Hey everyone, I want you to check out our sponsor, BustedTees.com. They sell really cool clothing and apparel. All of it inspired by your favorite shows, anime, sci-fi, video games, movies. That's BustedTees.com. And then at checkout, you want to use my name, Jason25945. That's all one word, Jason25945. That's going to get you a discount, and it's going to help this show. That site again, BustedTees.com. Like t-shirts, and that code again, Jason25945. BustedTees.com. Designs that pop culture. Lyric is the story of a cursed town, of a missing musician, a forgotten soul, and a song that will bring them all together under its dark siren's call. Now, a warning. This book contains scenes of violence, suggestions of rape, and other material that might not be suitable for children or the faint of heart. But I hope you stick around, because there is an evil looking for a way out, and it's finding that way through a story and a song. Welcome back, my storied friends. We're about to kick off Chapter 7, The Ballad of Jared and Jamie. I'm going to tell you, this chapter is where all the crazy actually starts. And I mean that. This is one of my favorite chapters, uh, one of my favorite to write. When I was going through the novel, there were a few that really spoke to me, mainly because this one was so much fun for me to write. I got to get into a little more of the horror aspect and sort of the craziness that that I wanted to take place in the story in this chapter. So I hope you guys enjoy it. To everyone who is listening, you guys rock. Seriously, you guys are, I mean, you're fantastic. When I put this out, I didn't know if anyone would listen. I didn't know if anyone cared. But it's one of those things where, you know, I had it. I just want to give it away. I want someone to enjoy it. So I hope some of you are. And to all of those who have left a review or have shared the show, or have uh, shared my tweets, or my Facebook postings, or my TikToks. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. You can find out all sorts of stupid information about me, because I'm not that interesting, over at the website, which is jasonemmitt.com, E-M-M-I-T-T, or lyricnovel.com. I also want to mention the Patreon is available should you want to skip all of this stuff and get right into the book. All 18 chapters are available there. No ads, none of this talking stuff. You click on one episode. If you want to listen to the next one, when that one's done, you go right into the next. You can listen to it all in two days or 12 days or however long you want. And uh, there's a very small subscription fee, and you cancel that when you're done and, and everybody's happy. I'm happy. I hope you guys are happy too. Another couple of ways you can help support the show. Uh, if you want to do a one-off, you can go to uh, the website, again, lyricnovel.com. Down at the bottom, you're going to see a link for Buy Me a Coffee. You can click on that, do a one-off donation, however much you want. Um, that helps support the show as well. And last but not least, we have a sponsor, which we talk about at the beginning of the show. 
BustedTees.com. Head over there, buy something because they got some really cool stuff anyway. I would not be a sponsor if I didn't like them. I actually knew who they were before they became a sponsor. So head over to Busted Tees, like t-shirts, buy something, drop in our code Jason25945, and uh, you get like a discount, and we get a little kickback. So that's a really cool way you can help support the show as well. Maybe you don't want to spend money, but you do want to support me. Hey, all you got to do is share the show. If you have social media, mention it on there. Uh, drop a review. Just give us five stars. Please don't, don't give me two. Oh, God. It'll break my heart. Uh, but you guys are awesome, so none of you would want to do that anyway. Yeah, leave a, a, a five-star review. You don't even have to write anything, although it'd be cool if you did. Uh, but you don't have to. You can leave the review, and that actually helps excel the show. It helps other people see it. And uh, that's, a, that's a really good way. Uh, working on a few other novels. I do want to mention something I don't usually mention uh, here on this show a whole lot. We do another show. Uh, it is a pop culture show. We talk a lot of music, but we talk about other things as well. That show is called The Mixtape. You can find The Mixtape just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. as three words, The Mixtape tape because we are a mixed bag of stuff. Well, I don't want to be the mixed bag, though. That would have been weird. Uh, you can find that almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. That is very lighthearted, very goofy, um, but very serious. We talk about topics we actually research a little bit. Well, some of us do, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We've been doing that for a while, so you can go check that out as well. And then we have some YouTube stuff going on. We're actually, we were doing it and then we sort of weren't. And now we're kind of trying to up that a little bit. Basically, if you want to go to themixtapeshow.com, you can find links to all of that stuff. You can actually contact me through there or uh, what have you. We have a link tree available on there, which will get you anywhere you want to go. I don't really pump those out on this show a whole lot, but I wanted to give a little love to my brothers who do the show with me because they're all awesome guys. Uh, I think that's it. I guess you guys probably want chapter seven. So let's go ahead and kick off chapter seven, the ballad of Jared and Jamie this week on Lyric. Chapter seven, the ballad of Jared and Jamie. Jamie left school early after the incident in the park, the song and her meltdown in the bathroom. She hadn't felt up to the rest of the day. Plus, she knew her father would be at work, which meant she could get something to eat and get some rest before his evening bender began. Jared hadn't wanted to leave, had, in fact, argued with her and told her she was being ridiculous, so after first bell ended, she had simply cut out and walked home. There was a bite in the air, and the sky was painted a dim ashen gray. But the streets were calm and empty that time of day, and it was, at the very least, peaceful. Now Jamie stood in her kitchen, making a tuna sandwich. The TV was on in the other room, and she could hear Drew Carey asking George Gray the name of the next contestant for Contestant Row. She wasn't interested in watching TV, but the sound helped drown out the thoughts that had been creeping up on her all morning. Completing her culinary masterpiece, she tossed the sandwich onto a paper plate and started towards the living room. As she rounded the corner, she froze. She would have sworn she saw a man step in the hallway on the other side of the room, a man wearing a black-and-white diamond-patterned leotard. The figure had seemed both solid and shade, and Jamie was both sure and not sure he had been there. 
She remained standing, her body motionless for a minute, before finally drawing enough courage to chase the ghost away and allow herself to sit on the couch. She told herself she was seeing things, her mind creating characters out of shadows and tricks of the light, but the unease never left her, and eventually she dozed off with that worried fog still lingering. Life for Jamie hadn't always been the way it was now. When she was young, she remembered a happy home with loving parents. Maybe there had always been problems somewhere behind the scenes, her parents hiding their growing disdain for one another beyond the closed doors of the bedroom. But if there was, Jamie had been blissfully unaware. And then one day, when Jamie was nine, she had gotten home from school and was told that her mother was gone. She was never given an explanation, just told to accept it. The drinking started a few months later. Drinkers don't start out as drunks. It takes time, perseverance, and a desire to shut out the real world by any means available. There were times when her father had even been fun when he was drinking, but as the months passed into years, the bitterness and loneliness seemed to take over. He started neglecting Jamie, sometimes forgetting she was there at all, and she had thought that was bad, but the neglect was nothing compared to how bad things got once he started paying attention to her again. When he came into her room that first time, she wasn't sure what was happening. She thought maybe there was an emergency, or perhaps he had staggered in by mistake. Then he climbed into bed with her, and as he began to whisper, maybe not to her, maybe to himself, her veins filled with ice. She was young, no more than twelve, but she had been old enough to understand. You are such a pretty girl. You look so much like your mama. I've been so lonely. So lonely. Jamie got to know the phases of intoxication. She knew the nights he was more likely to come to her room and had gotten good at avoiding him most of the rest of the time. There were places, she discovered, where she could go to get away. Sometimes she would go to the gazebo on the 12th hole of the Palmer Woods Golf Club. It was nice and covered, but the groundskeepers came early, and she tried to avoid interacting with people as much as possible. People asked questions. People called the police. On extremely cold nights, she would slip out and climb under the cover on the back of her dad's truck until he fell asleep. Then she would sneak back into her room and bed down on a pile of blankets in her closet floor. Once or twice, Jared had snuck her into his room, but he would always want sex, and sometimes that only made her feel worse. Mostly, she went to the park. The park was peaceful and familiar, and it made her think of happier times when she used to play there with her friends, in the days when she had friends, long before Jared was the only person she was allowed to talk to. Jamie was stirred awake when the sound of laughter drifted from somewhere in the back of the house. She would have been frightened by the sound, crisp, shrill, and sharp, only she didn't have time, because it was followed by another sound, the sound of a key scraping against the front door lock as it fumbled its way into its slot. She had overslept, and her father was home. Jamie flipped off the television, leaped to her feet, and made a mad dash for her room. She shut the door behind her, just as she heard the front door swing open, its old hinges announcing the king's entrance with a groan. She suspected from the struggle he seemed to have to get his key in the lock 
that he had stopped by Clayton's on his way home. And a quick look at the clock on her bedside table, 7.18, I slept till 7.18, suggested she was probably right. He'd started early tonight, and since she had slipped out last night, he would likely be feeling the urge even stronger. She crept to her window, praying that the boards beneath her feet wouldn't betray her as she cautiously maneuvered towards escape. They did not. Grabbing her blanket from the bed, she lifted the window in its old wooden sash and climbed her way to freedom. When she arrived at the park, there were people present. She knew they would be leaving soon as the sun had already begun its descent over the horizon. But for a while, she would watch them and fantasize about the lives they led. Happy families and loving homes. She pictured them climbing into their minivans and pulling through the drive throughs of a nearby fast food restaurant before returning home and gathering in front of the television for a little family primetime bonding. It was the life she had been denied, forced instead to spend her nights in fear of the man who was supposed to protect her. As the light faded and the day turned to night, one by one the park patrons dispersed until finally she was alone. Sometimes, she huddled up on the benches near the river, the sound of the rushing water offering a soothing backdrop to her troubled mind. But tonight, she made her way down to the blacktop walkway to the bench that sat on the edge of the forest. It was isolated and lonely, and tonight, that was how Jamie wanted to be. Some people would be afraid to be in the park at night, but Jamie knew there were worse things than those creatures that lived in the woods. Still, there was what happened the previous night. What had happened anyway? And she was slightly weary. She played on her phone for a while, letting time slip past until her eyes grew heavy enough that she believed she could sleep. She would rest for a bit, and if the temperature dropped too low, she would find her way back home after her father had passed out. But last night, the weather hadn't been too bad, and she had a thought that tonight might not be either. Her eyes closed for a minute, maybe two, and then they opened once more. She examined the tree line ahead of her, silhouetted and outlined by the light of the moon. Aside from the shrubs and bushes, there was nothing. Fatigue pulled her eyelids down once more, and another minute had come and gone before they opened again. It was slightly more difficult now to see but she took a quick scan of her surroundings. Everything was in its right place. She closed her eyes. When they opened again, nearly ten minutes had passed. As she had done before, she tried to force her focus to the scene beyond her bench. Just the trees, the bushes, and... There was something standing in the distance. Something just visible through the cloudy haze of slumber. At first she thought maybe she was still asleep and dreaming, but as she sat up, the blanket slid off her, revealing the chill of the autumn night, and she knew this was real. Jamie stood and peered into the abyss, forcing her eyes to focus, and as they did, the cloudiness disintegrating and blending the world back into view, she saw the jester, his pale, painted skin standing out in stark contrast to the black backdrop of the night. He was grinning at her, 
despite the frown that was smeared across his skeletal face. And she could see the green-stained teeth zigzagging like miniature daggers in a zipper-like formation. His eyes were black fish eyes glimmering with the light of the moon. She saw his clothes, at one time glossy silk and sheen. That sheen was gone now, stained with mud and grime and something rust-colored. Old blood. There were rips and tears scattered about, and it clung to his form, covering him the way a wetsuit might cover a diver. Only the thing behind this wetsuit was little more than a rag doll, sunken at the ribs, arms emaciated and gangly, legs long and thin. She watched. She watched as the jester began to dance, his body moving in a peculiar way, jerking first to the left and then right, and then left again in a cracked rhythmic bouncing. As he danced, the bells on his shoes played their tiny song, chilling, 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 small and eerily pleasant yet haunting. She had a single thought. This is the song. The jester began to laugh, only there was no sound. She could see his face contorting with glee as he continued his broken ballet, and in her head she could hear the evil cackle, but outside there was nothing. And then there was. The jester let loose a banshee scream, only the smile never vacated his face. It lunged at her, its body running on warped, broken legs that snapped as it went. Jamie turned on her heels and sprinted in the opposite direction, disregarding any fear of the woods and what might be hiding inside the trees and thickets. She pounded off the blacktop, choosing instead the dirt trails that would take her to the edge of the playground. After that, she would cut across the rubber mulch-laden terrain to the walkway that led to the exit, finding her way to freedom. Branches reached out at her, sharp, clawed hands swatting her face as they tried to grab her and stop her, but she pushed past them, ignoring their sting. She pushed forward, legs pumping, breath panting, pulse racing. Although she could still hear it moving somewhere in the distance behind her, the jester was slow, and Jamie was outpacing it. She couldn't see more than a few feet in front of her, but she knew she must be close to the clearing. And then she saw the dim glow of the moon ahead, and she doubled her pace. A moment later and she was out, crossing the wooden threshold like a marathon runner, breaking the paper finish line to victory. Jamie hunched over, allowing herself a few seconds to breathe. She sucked in three bitterly cold gulps of air, then started on again, only now at a much slower jog. She stepped across the black plastic circle barrier that designated the official play area, pushing herself off the slide as she passed and instinctually ducking slightly as she walked beneath the monkey bars, which stood well over seven feet to Jamie's 5'5". Five five. She reached the outer ring of the play zone, feeling confident that she would escape when something broke her stride. It was a sound, a very familiar sound, the back-and-forth rhythm of chains moaning. It was the sound of a swing. Jamie turned to her right and stopped. She hadn't known Chris Diamond, 
not personally, but she had seen him around school and recognized him right away. He was supposed to be dead. Jamie knew that. Everyone in town knew that. But there he was, sitting on the center swing, drifting slowly, his legs swaying forward and backward, his head cast down, as if watching his feet as they dragged small trails in the dirt. She wondered for a moment if maybe his death hadn't really happened, maybe just a stupid story that had been exaggerated through the halls of high school the way so many stories were. But that thought was snuffed as Chris Diamond raised his head and cast his attention to Jamie. Oh my God, he has no eyes. The thought poured over her and she felt all strength leave her. All she saw were deep sockets, burrowed pits filled with blood and pus and old tar-like sludge that dripped and ran down the tracks of his nose in streaming tendrils. His face looked hollow, as if the life had been pulled out of it, cheeks puckered inward and bone-forming ledges. He was gray. Chris opened his mouth, and that same tar substance began to ooze out, he smiled, stuck out what remained of his mauled and torn tongue, and began to wriggle it like a worm on the end of a hook. Jamie flinched, and Chris burst into liquid chortles, blood and goo bubbling on his lips as the chains on the swing shook in time. Then he spoke. Who opened the door? Now who can come with us? He stood from the swing, and Jamie took a step back. His head cocked to one side like a curious dog. It's better in fly. No more hurting. No more dirty daddy. Chris shuffled forward two steps, and Jamie retreated three more. You can come. They can bring you. He raised his finger and pointed behind her. Jamie didn't want to turn. Didn't want to see what would be standing behind her because she knew it would be the jester. The jester and something else, she thought. She wanted to scream, but didn't. A figure moved into her peripheral vision, and Jamie began to shake uncontrollably. She couldn't see what it was, not completely, but she had an overwhelming feeling that it was female. There was the sound of the little jingle bells behind her now. They were close, too close, and then two bony, vice-like, white-gloved hands latched onto her shoulders. The figure moved again, and now Jamie could see that it was a woman, or at least had been at one time. The woman peered at her, examining her. Then she looked over Jamie's shoulder, with the slightest tilt of her head, gave her blessing to the jester. Jamie didn't see the glimmer in the jester's eyes as it opened its mouth, as wide as it could, didn't see the way its tarnished fangs dripped with saliva. But she did feel the searing pain as those fangs sank into and they began to tear away the flesh between her neck and shoulder. And now Jamie did scream. It was shrill and filled with pain, and she tried to fight, tried to break free, but the skinny creature in the guise of a jester held her tight with preternatural strength. Jamie saw Chris Diamond watching, 
that molten laughter bellowing from him once again as the jester bit down a second time. It yanked back its head, ripping another chunk out of her. And then came a third attack. A fourth. The agony was unbearable. She dropped to her knees, warm red life pouring from her. Jamie felt herself slipping into unconsciousness, and she welcomed it. The last thing Jamie Keller saw before she died was the woman standing over her. Just a fraction of time, but it was enough time for Jamie to think, that is death. Then she was gone. It startled Jared when his phone began to ring a little after 11. He wasn't asleep yet. He rarely fell asleep before 1, but it had still been unexpected. He picked it up off the bedside table, saw Jamie's name, released a groan, and quickly turned off the television before sliding the answer bar to the right. He'd been watching what his father had referred to as one of them Skinamax T&A flicks. Softcore wasn't his favorite, but sometimes it was enough to do the trick. He wasn't happy about Jamie interrupting him, especially because he knew she was probably calling to whine about her old man, and sometimes he got tired of dealing with her constant bitching, not to mention her atomic meltdown earlier today at school. She had yelled at him in front of his friends, and then she totally skipped out after first bell, leaving him there alone, looking like a dumbass. He was pissed at her, but he also knew she might need a place to crash, and if she came over... He might get laid, or at the very least, a blowjob. He pushed the phone up against his ear. Hey, babe, what's up? At first, all he heard was static, and he nearly hung up, thinking it was a bad connection or maybe even a butt dial. But then he heard her voice, broken and garbled, little more than a drawn-out whisper, pushing through the nearly overwhelming hiss. Jared, you need to come. What? He replied partially from confusion, partially frustration. Jared, you need to come. Come now. Come with me. What are you talking about, Jared said. Come where? Come. Park. The phone disconnected. Jared held it out, pressed Jamie's name, and waited. It went straight to her voicemail. He tried again and again to her voicemail. He hesitated a moment, then pushed himself to the side of his bed, grabbed his jeans from the floor, and pulled them on. She'd said, park. Jared wouldn't be surprised if some creep had finally come along and raped her. God knows he'd warned her a hundred times it might happen. It was late, and he didn't feel like running after her just to sit there while she bawled all night. But he did care about her, and if she was in the park alone, she might be in trouble. He was pissed but he went. There was no need to sneak out and no explanations were in order. Jared's mother worked third shift at the Golden Valley Nursing Home, and the only child his father paid attention to was Jared's younger brother, Brian. Brian was a sophomore wonder. He was the Adams High football team prized kicker, honor roll bound and dating the captain of the debate team, who also happened to be on homecoming court. His dad adored Brian, and while he never directly spoke the words, Jared knew he had always been disappointed by his eldest son. 
the delinquent, who was lucky to score anything above a C on his report card, and who was dating someone his family thought of as white trash. If Jared was to be honest, the question as to whether or not Jamie was white trash had crossed his mind a few times too. Her mother had run off when she was a kid, and her dad was a drunk. They were poor, and their house was in the part of town most people referred to as the Tulliver Ghetto. But she was cute, and she mostly did whatever Jared said, and that was good. He'd met her at the class bonfire last year. She'd shown up with Katie Pine and Marcy Hatton, two bitches that Jared was never able to stomach. Katie was grossly fat, and Jared always thought she smelled like rotten eggs and vinegar. And he was pretty sure that Marcy was a dyke, and that she secretly had a crush on Jamie, a fact that he felt was verified by the look that crossed her face when Jared came over to talk to Jamie that first night. The two of them had hit it off right away, and by the time the night was over, Jared had known Jamie was hooked. They started going steady a week later, and two months after that, he had managed to talk Jamie into ditching Katie the fat ass and Marcy the lesbian entirely. After that, it was Jared and Jamie all the time. He pulled into the parking lot of River's Edge Park. The park was technically closed after dark, but there was no gate blocking the entrance. If anyone happened to be caught sitting in their car after hours, they were usually just chased off. But even that was rare. Jared and Jamie had spent quite a few late nights out there doing things that teenagers are apt to do, and on at least two occasions they had nearly been caught with their pants down, most literally. Jared popped open the glove box, pushed aside the clutter of napkins, sunglasses, and a well-weathered car manual, and pulled out an LED flashlight. He pushed the large rubber button on the bottom, setting free the small, white-blue stream of light. He stepped outside and entered the park. It was creepy to be in the park after everyone else was gone. Once when Jared was in the fourth grade, he stayed after hours to help his teacher, Miss Goodwin, set up decorations for the next day's Valentine's party. There was something unnatural about being in the school after hours. He remembered walking the empty halls, his feet echoing against the hollow bareness of the abandoned building, and how wrong it felt. Being in the park late at night, when most of the world was home in their beds, gave him a similar vibe, only out here... He wasn't alone. Out here, there were things, creatures hiding in the grass and trees and watching him from the darkest places. It didn't take him long to find her. As he came to the end of the path that led into the park, he saw Jamie sitting next to the slide on the playground. Jared pointed the light towards her, and he knew something was wrong. Her head set at an odd angle, cocked and leaning to the side, and her shirt was covered in what looked like dirt and something else. Blood. I think it's blood. His body went on full alert. Jamie? He questioned. She made to move towards him, but as she took her first step, her head pivoted, then dropped down against her shoulder. It was still attached, but barely. The weight of it straining the few strands of sinewy meat muscle and tendon that kept it from tumbling to the ground. Jared wasn't stupid. He didn't hesitate. He turned to retreat. He did not get far. 
The jester leapt on Jared like a cat pouncing on a mouse. He had been waiting for him, concealed under the cloak of night. The impact landed Jared on his back, his head bouncing against the blacktop and the wind rushing from his lungs. The jester pushed itself forward, pinning the boy's arms to the ground with its knobby knees. Jared squirmed and lashed out, but despite the gaunt frame of the fool perched on top of him, he couldn't manage to knock him off. Jared continued to thrash, kicking his legs wildly and screaming curses as if his words might be strong enough to push the beast away. Something pulled up his shirt, something Jared couldn't see because the jester was blocking his view. He felt icicle appendages moving up his stomach and he shuddered. He knew something bad was about to happen. He felt it was, and then it did. Burning pain, a razor-like thinness sliding down alongside his belly button. The pain was agonizing, and Jared let out a squeal. The jester locked eyes with him. Then, with a sardonic grin, it leaned slightly to the left, just as another bolt of pain hit him. This time, Jared saw it. The jester let him see it, let him see her. The lady knelt over him, tattered gray dress waving in the night's breeze. Jared saw the nail of her right pointed finger long and sharp, slicing through his skin like strips of blood-soaked tissue paper. And then he saw Jamie standing over him, her head still bobbing loosely to the side. Blood began to roll down her shoulder, a tiny red flowing the length of her arm, moving its way to her fingertips, which dangled just above his face. Jared saw it happening before it did, and dread raced through him in anticipation. But he was helpless to stop it. The blood pulled into a small ball against the edge of her nail, the weight of it drawing into a long, strung-out drip. It hovered there for a heartbeat, then released. It fell in slow motion, pushing through the dense, syrupy air. It landed on Jared's cheek and burst and sprayed, and he felt the thick warmth of it, and suddenly he was filled with renewed vigor. With a wail, he jutted his abdomen up and over, throwing the jester to the ground. Seizing the moment, Jared rolled onto his hands and knees, lifted himself up, and began to run blindly. He didn't look back to see if anyone or anything was following him. He didn't care. He had his chance. He was taking it. Jared burst into the forest, not concerned with what direction he might be heading, only concerned with escape. He felt limbs and twigs slamming into his arms and colliding with his face and chest, but he didn't dare slow down. They wouldn't catch him. He wouldn't let them. As he ran, he became aware of a noise, a quiet murmur of tiny voices. And as he pressed on, the murmur seemed to be growing louder. He heard it, he was aware of it, but he didn't care. He wasn't paying attention, wasn't thinking. So when the forest opened abruptly and he saw the river twisting its way like a snake in the night, he didn't have enough time to slow his momentum. The ground disappeared beneath him and Jared was catapulted into the water. It wasn't very deep here, but being ill-prepared for the change in terrain, 
Jared lost his footing and went under. Liquid ice slammed into his chest, making it hard to breathe, and he scrambled to get himself upright. There was a frenzy of half-breaststroke, half-dog paddle back to the muddy shoreline. His hand hit something solid. He tried to claw his way up, lost his grip on the muddy moss mixture, slipped under a second time. His feet hit ground, and Jared pushed off. This time, when he breached the water surface, he shot up into the air like a dolphin performing a trick and smacked down into the muck. Rolling onto his back, he began to gasp for air. The river had carried him a few yards downstream, and he thought that might be a good thing because it put a little more distance between him and the trio in the park. That thought brought a feeling of relief. He was cold, wet, and frightened, but he was alive, and that was enough for... Something closed around Jared's left ankle, clamping down hard on his leg. Panic overtook him as he looked down and saw the water-bloated corpse of Chris Diamond as he belly-slid his way onto the bank. Slime-filled liquid rolled off him, and there was a creature, it's a little minnow, or maybe, maybe a bug, lodged and squirming in the orbit of his left eye socket. Jared made a few feeble attempts to kick free, but he was winded and tired. Chris took hold of his right leg and pulled himself onto Jared's lower half. Jared felt him, a wriggling mass of jelly-like texture pressing down on his body. Chris sat up and began to knee-walk backward. He retreated a few inches, then gave Jared a hard yank. Jared slid easy in the mud. Fight or flight filled the boy, and he began to struggle, but the Chris corpse released his right ankle and slammed a fist down hard against his abdomen, sending a wave of queasiness into his throat. Jared moaned, his body fell limp, and Chris returned to his task. Two more solid tugs, and now Jared felt the water crossing his legs. He made an attempt to flip over, and was met by another blow. There was a cracking sound, and Jared clutched at his stomach as one of his ribs fractured. Jared had nothing left. He was defeated, and he knew it. Tears welled in his eyes as slowly his body was submerged beneath the Arctic depths a few torturous inches at a time. Right before his face went under, the water filling his mouth and throat and lungs, he twisted his head and saw Jamie standing a few feet away with the lady at her side, both watching and waiting as he vanished into the watery abyss below. All right. That was fun, wasn't it? I kind of tried to tell you guys this, you know, there was a whole crazy scene in the beginning with Chris. And then we've had some light stuff, but we haven't really gotten into it. Well, now we are. You know, you got to build up the story. We got to get there. But now you're starting to see all the crazy zany stuff that's going to happen because of this damn song. God, music just has a way of getting to you, doesn't it? Thank you guys once again. Remember, please go check out the website. Please leave a review if you have a moment. Please visit the sponsors. I'm begging all kinds of stuff right now, aren't I? Uh, hey, and if you can get the Patreon, if you want to do that, 
Thanks to everyone who has supported me thus far. We will be back again next week with Chapter 8. This is Jason Emmett signing off. Until next, we speak. <laughs>